post-breach playbooks that are up to date, <laughs> that the team knows where to find Did them. you, hold on a second. Did you time that so that I had this soda in my mouth, thus leading to me almost spitting it out my nose when you asked that question? And welcome back to the Refactor Podcast, the show where we try and help ourselves and you suck just a little bit less each and every day. Recording live from the basement of the Ivory Tower, my name is Frank Cole. And from the brink of sanity, my name is Chris Tonkinson. And this is episode 114, recorded on September, what is that? 8th, 2023. Holy moly. Uh, so I learned something, well, didn't learn something. I found something cool the other week. Uh, there is, what do you, now when you're, so you do still touch code once in a decade or so, right? You I, still I'm, know how to type. Yes. Um, what do you, you, are you still using Sublime? Just a, a little bit of tool chat for a second. Yes, I am. As, still I, using I, Sublime. I'm okay. still using Sublime. I still hate code IDEs. I, I still hate the IDE setups. Yeah. Um, so yes, yeah, still using Sublime. Multi-cursor for the win. Yeah, I generally, mm, I generally don't love IDEs myself. Uh, I kind of like that to stay simple. Um, and I, I find you'd spend a lot of time in an ID like, oh, I'm going to use, uh, I'm going to be doing .NET, right? And so I'm going to use Visual Studio, let's say, right? And you spend a lot of time calibrating your experience there. And then you're like, well, I want to do Java. You could use Visual Studio, but like one of the JetBrains projects is probably going to be a lot better for you. And so you have like these, diff, depending on what you're doing, if, if mm-hmm. all you ever did was one specific language ecosystem, there's probably a best IDE that you could get really comfy in. Uh, but I've never been like so pegged into one thing that that really made a ton of sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, the problem for me is you spend so much time uh, just, I, I feel like it's a bike shedding trap. You spend so much time just tweaking the IDE and tweaking your just setup getting and, comfortable. Twe- and just yeah. getting comfortable and making it do what you want it to do. And, oh, it'd be cool if it could do this. And then you're off in this rabbit hole doing this other thing. And you're not actually yeah. writing code. And I... The, the, well, which is fine. I think we like we do that. I think I think any even if you're using a simplistic editor, you spend you time s- learning and customizing. Yeah, uh, and, but I mean, the you, because the IDs tend to be like focused on one stack. When you move to a different stack, there might be like a better ID. Now you've got to do it twice, and that's where I get a little. Well, yeah, there's that, and then I mean, of course, you've got to deal with the ergonomics of getting your project set up. Like you have to have a place to write the code. You have to have a place to test. You have, I mean, like you have to do all those kinds of things. I get it. So, you know, you're not avoiding the work necessarily, but by not mandating that it be all within this one ecosystem, like I'm, I'm big on the Linux tool mindset or Unix do one small job very, very well. So I have it to editor and it does a job really, really well. And I want to run tests. I go to a command line and I use the test framework on the command line and it works really, really well. And then I have my dev environment inside of a Linux box on Vagrant. And that works really, really well. And so I'm just, I'm doing all these little things and I I cobble it together. And then, so to go back to your analogy with with the Java thing, the vast majority of my stuff, because they're all doing these individual jobs, it all translates. I can use Vagrant for any kind of project. I can use the same Ubuntu box for, for all these different projects. I use the same editor. The only thing that changes is basically my, the language I'm writing. And then uh, like a unit test framework. And that's pretty much it. And so I'd rather cobble it together that way. It's when you put everything, 
I don't know. I just had a really bad eclipse experience when I first got started <laughs> writing code. You, you and you and I think everyone Everybody? else who took yeah. CS in college. <laughs> I didn't use it, but that's just it. I didn't use it for college. I used I used plain text. They actually did plain text stuff in college. And then when I got out, somebody said, oh, oh you're writing code. You should try Eclipse. I was like, oh, okay. I've never had. I mean, that was my first exposure to an IDE. And I remember banging my head trying to get this thing to work and behave. And I was like, why am I doing this? I have a text file. I can just open it right here in this yeah. fixed with font edit, text editor and be done. Like, why am I doing this? And I never well, the other thing. Back. Yeah, as as an IC, I just I like I, I've I've never really liked IDE personally, but as a at the team scale, I I still don't like them because yep. you can do everything with an ID. Like a good ID, visual if if you're gonna have an ID, Visual Studio, at least as far as I'm aware, and things could have changed in the last few years, but Visual Studio is the best IDE. It has the most comprehensive suite of features and functionality that are integrated specifically to what you want to do. Like far and beyond anything I've I've seen with some of the other some of the other providers get very very good. But I think Visual Studio is overall the best IDE in kind of like an abstract way. Um, it has ended the up problem being the, is, the, the 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 one on top. Like it, it has lasted the longest. It had a ton of investment from Microsoft. It has yeah, sort of adopted yeah. all best practices. I mean, it's it's that classic Microsoft thing. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, good, great idea. Glad I had it, and I'm just gonna go <laughs> glad I had it. it. Yeah, and I'm going to go steal yeah. it. And you know, it's pretty pretty Microsoft SOP. Yeah, but the problem is though for me, uh, like if if you're writing .NET all day, then maybe it doesn't matter. But I, like, all right, we're going to have a and say it's some kind of web dev, right? So you got some JavaScripty stuff, and you got some server sidey stuff. Uh, it doesn't matter what editor you use, and a team scale. Like I've got some folks that want Mac and some folks that want mm -hmm. Windows and a couple of idiots that want Linux, and I can't provide Visual Studio to them in the same way in all of those environments without additional support cost to try to make that happen in an ergonomic way. And I kind of would rather you spend less time churning on your local environment. I'd rather you get the code right, give you some some simple utilities to make sure it's right, and then push it into the pipeline and let all of the work be done there as an incentive to increase cycle times. Well, you're also... Um, a, so it's like... Get, go ahead. Finish the thought. No, so it, it, it's just... I, I see it. At the I have heard people argue that, well, the, the more comprehensive your IDE is, the farther left you can shift. And oh, I see. I have, in my experience, I don't disagree that in theory, that is like a, a thing that you could say is true. Experientially, I think that has kind of actually made the problem worse because yeah. it delays people committing code and it delays uh, pipelines that get you intelligence on how the code is forming at a team scale. Um, so I've kind of seen, I, I don't have all the experience in the world. So maybe like I, I could be the one out to lunch on this one. Maybe I just had, some, I, don't think, I, I was no. stung as a child. Right. And so <laughs> I don't think you are, uh, two things come to mind when, with, with this kind of approach, the, the notion of, okay, our project, we're using VS code and here's the setup and you know, it's all pre-configured on your laptop and you're going to do things this way and such and such. And here's your, like, I get it. And yeah, so you've got a you have your entire pipeline, your process, and it's all well defined inside the IDE. Great, and that has shifted you left. Couple, couple things with that. It's it, it's a. I, I feel like it's a. 
it's simply not true that that's the only way to do it. So two things can oh, be true no, at yeah. once. Like you can do that or you can achieve the same results with a well-documented process, top level of your project, read me doc. Here's all the things you need to know. Here's how to set it up. Here's where to go. Here's what to do. You can get, you can do all of that, that you can achieve the same result without having to be doctrinal about this is your tool set and this is how you. So, so that's the first thing I, I feel like people, they, they assume, they assume it's either or, and it's, it's not. When, and let me let me just let you take a pause there. Uh, and in that vein, I get very existential and lazy because I'm like, all right, I need to enable you to do this on your own, whether or not you have the IDE. Why am I spending my time supporting the IDE way of doing it when so that's not portable? You just <laughs> just same same wavelength. Uh, you just went where I was going to go by by setting up this IDE and and managing this. You have now adopted IDE configuration management as a responsibility for the, yeah. for the entire department, which is, yeah. and um, that sucks. It sucks. And it's, it, I mean, that, that is full, that is full board bike shedding territory, I think. And you end up dealing with, um, you know, a bunch of stuff that you don't have to like, if, if you're not super dogmatic about what you're, what, how exactly each programmer is set up, you, you're allowing them to apply their own you know, personal touches to it and, and and personal comforts. Because otherwise, if you go the route of here's our setup and here's what you're going to use, you're invariably, you are going to run into conflicts. Well, I want it to be green. Well, I want it to be blue. Okay, so which is it? Well, do we have to pick or, oh no, you can choose that one. Oh, we can choose now, that. Well, what about this other thing that I want to choose over here? The thing, it's a house of cards, I feel like, and it falls and down the very degenerate, The degenerate case is one person by fiat making a litany yes. of arbitrary decisions right. and forcing them down everybody's throat because we need to have a, yeah, it's, it's I, I don't, so I think, I think we're agreeing there more than anything. Um, all of that having been said, and I'm, I think I'm on, yeah, so you, uh, Sublime, you said, right, still? Sublime. Didn't yeah. they come out with a new, ver is that four now? Are uh, they up to? I'm using three, I think. Let me see. Uh, Sublime Text. Sublime Four is out. I don't know what ver I don't know what version this is. Check for updates. I'm using forty one fifty two. So forty one fifty two. That is four. Yeah, that is four. Okay, cool. So um, I'm using Sublime Text Four. Yeah, that's cool. It's. Uh, I'll have to take a a look back at that. I yeah. so the reason I brought all this up, I didn't know if you were using VS Code, um, Tell because there was a. <laughs> As we just got finished. Absolutely. No, no, God, no, no. I, I, I don't think it's a bad compromise myself. Um, I just hate the performance of it. Like all electron apps, we're not going to go there again. We've talked about that a million times. <laughs> um, but uh, we are trying, we are in the middle stages of thinking through kind of a, an AI assist program uh, oh, okay. at my nine to five. Um, cool. And so trying to figure out, okay, so legally and from like a data data governance and security and all that standpoint intellectual property like how can we roll this out and check all the boxes and make sure nobody's going to get fired and all that kind of stuff because uh, we're in a regulated industry and we have rather draconian contracts that we're required to adhere to the terms of um one of the things that we discovered in our uh explorations was a new fork of vs code called cursor Okay. I think it's cursor.so. Um, 
And it's just a fork of VS Code, uh, like a shameless fork of VS Code with AI magic sprinkled on top. Um, <laughs> and really, really, it's I don't know what they're doing that's different than just having it be an extension to VS Code. I, honestly, I, I haven't looked at the actual code. I don't think it's open source. Um, so I don't I don't know whether they couldn't have just made an extension other than they somebody saw a market opportunity, which I, I don't have a problem with. Um, but basically, you start this up and you either pay them a subscription and it's 20 bucks a month or whatever it is. Uh, and that's basically all passed through to open API's API. Um, or you can give them your own open API key if you already pay for like uh, if you already have the if you already pay for, for their, their subscription. Yeah, right. Um and in, in which case you don't have to pay to use the editor. Uh, but then it just has like built in, like fairly ergonomically built in inline integration with chat GPT. GPT. Yeah. I'm looking um, at their membership, but it's all, so you can go, so, so you can go and you can, you can uh, type some comment block and then type the name of the method and the signature of the function. Uh, and then hit like, what is it like command K or something and tell it, fill this method in for me. So it's just really, mm -hmm like embedded into like it's a primary use case for it that you're going to be using this a lot so you can ask it to refactor you can ask it to document you know here's this function add the documentation here's this function go find my bugs here's the method signature write the body you know all that kind of stuff that you mm -hmm. would want it to be able to do right here's some code write the test for it and you can do operations at the the method level or at the file level and all these kinds of things um and it gets around doesn't get around, but it uses the API to make it seem like they're getting around some of like the input and output limitations. You're not I if mean, you're like using like if you just have Chat GPT open in a browser. Yeah, that's you what you're getting more around. this way. Yeah, it's I gotta say I've toyed with it. It's ergonomic. Like I have it mm. installed and I have my open API key in it because it's it's worth something. Um, mm. So I know I can tell by the look on your face you don't care that much. But if we have any listeners who are kind of AI curious. Uh, uh, it's just a convenient way to integrate it into a workflow if you're a fan of VS Code. Now, I happen to think that VS Code is a hot pile of dog crap, but a lot of people like it, and the industry is loudly declaring that I'm wrong. Like, I'm humble enough to accept that. Um, but again, the integration is clean enough that even I'm still playing with it. Yeah, I wouldn't... Don't be Don't be so quick to... to um to be conciliatory to the, uh, to the masses, um, you know, giant mobs of people are, are wrong all the time. And history is replete with mobs being wrong about seemingly very obvious things like VS code being kind of a pain in the butt. So well, I, I, I mean, beta max, beta max was better technology, but the industry chose VHS. Uh, if you went all in on beta max, you lost money. Like, I mean, there's certain cases where, like, I, I still use Vim. Like, I don't care what's going on in the VS Code ecosystem. Um, but I really, I thought I would call it out because it is super popular. And this right. is, and I even I even saw somebody who was uh, doing a demo. They use VS Code religiously, have, like, all the settings and plugins and config, like, nu nuanced detail, like, configuration and customization. When they started Cursor, it, like, pulled all of that right in. Mm -hmm. Um but I, I tried it myself. I don't have VS Code, so it didn't do any of that for it. But I tried it, and uh, it's it's worth taking a look. I would okay. say, All right. for sure. I so, can. There are a couple of projects where I could see using that, and it's got Vim key bindings, so I can still do what I want to do. Right. So you're what you're really getting with this is 
uh, it's, it's, you're getting around the ergonomics of having to have chat GPT open in the background, pasting right. into chat GPT, whatever the hell you want, and then getting the result and then copy pasting that wherever the heck yeah, you want. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I feel like this is, again, this is another, I feel like this might be a little more of the, uh, you know, IDE versus plain text editor conversation that we sort of opened with because I mean, the chat GPT thing just kind of works. I, I haven't used it. So this is me just kind of riffing. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, you know, being contrarian for the sake of, you know, sure. the conversation. But I think that, I mean, the, the copy paste thing works just fine. And it has the added benefit of n not having to, chat GPT nor my editor have to have any opinion or knowledge of where the code is coming from, where the, where my input is coming from or where I want the response to go. Like, I'm sure those integrations are great, but they're going to go in a certain like you're going to say, write the test. Well, it's going to write the tests where and how it's set up to, to write the test. Mm -hmm. And what I have found with a lot of the chat GPT stuff that I've done is it gets somewhere between 50 to 80% of 80% at the high end, like on a really, really good day. I ask the right questions and the moon is aligned. I'll get like a really good answer and it'll get me most of the way there. I add some window dressing around it and, and I'll call it a day. But invariably- I'd be, I'd be curious, I'd be curious your use case because I would say my average is about 80. I get pretty good results with it. Yeah, it, uh, I guess it depends. On, I, I guess it depends on what you're doing. Um, but because uh, I've used it for programming stuff, I've also used it for um, language stuff, for writing uh, mm -hmm. I will say the programming is definitely more accurate than the writing, uh, but even the programming, um, again, maybe it's the way I'm asking questions because I'm asking very specific questions to answer very specific things. And so I get this, this use case yeah. example that I then have to implement. But in any Honestly, event- Honestly, my- Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. In, in any event, I feel like I always have to do something. And so having that sort of isolated and walled off to me, that's I would be okay with that. Because yeah. I nothing I, I'm not taking anything AI and just passing it through. Now that's certainly like this is a new technology, newer technology. Well, and I, I think you're going a little too far there because having it built in and integrated with your editor does that that doesn't necessarily mean you're taking its outputs and not looking at them, right? You still got because like my like I'll tell you my my primary use case for GPT is I I use the web, uh, and I'll I'll just ask it to write me bash scripts for menial tasks, mm -hmm. you know, something that I just it's going to be faster because I I know bash I can get it to write the thing. Right. It's a well bounded function or script. I given this file of a list of things, do this with it and do that and do this other thing, and it mm -hmm. does it very high accuracy rating and i know what i'm talking about so i can desk check the code real quick to make sure it's going to do the right thing i throw it into a terminal i run it and and robert your mother's brother um but i don't I, I don't think just having it like more natively tied into the editing experience necessarily means that like you stop being critical of i think that's no, certainly a danger not. for some people to just go like start to go on autopilot that would be yeah. a red flag uh, you know what? Whole, you know, and I'm gonna combo that with a. You know what really grinds my gears? Are these? Oh boy! Are these op these social media posts that talk about how you can basically just become an app developer overnight, knowing absolutely no code, using just AI? Have you seen these things? 
They, no, this the, is nothing new. It the, was the same. This is the same crowd that was saying, "Oh, you can use Rails to write a website without knowing any Ruby." Yeah, no, <laughs> no. I think you, these, you cannot. Honestly, I think these charlatans might be even worse because at least those guys had an understanding of Rails, which is at least the language. Here, you've got these 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 stupid posts talking about how you can here here's. Use this thing and type in this and it'll build the app. And then you go over here and you put this and all of a sudden you've got this app just up on the store. Yeah. And that app is complete and utter garbage. Like, it's just crap. And it just, the the shortcutting None nonsense. of those lists. I don't know. You're right. And item number one, a of those lists is never make sure your idea doesn't suck. Yeah. Well, even if the idea is, <laughs> even if the idea is genius, the AI, the chat GPT AI scripted version of Facebook that you're going to push onto, you know, an and, you know, the, the Google Play store is, is it's going to be crap. Like it, it's going to be. This would be a really interesting. This would be a really interesting exercise to me to come up with a specific like it had to it had to be scope bounded, but to come up with. Pardon me, a, a specific use case. I'm going to build an app too, or I'm going to build a website too. Use something like Cursor and just from the word go, make GPT do it. Like you start off with like a <laughs> bulleted list of right. the applications got to do this and this and this using that and that language and this output and blah, blah, blah. Uh, write me, you know, like, hey, write the models for this, write the views for that, write the, you know, the right. logic here, the business right. logic for that, write my database scheme, right? Like you just literally have it do, you farm everything out and then see like where the problems come in. That would be an interesting thought. It would take time. Like it's not something you do in five minutes. Um, yeah. It would be an interesting case study though. Like, for example, like build me a fit using the API, build me a Facebook app. Uh, if they have an open, I don't know if they have an API. Yeah. Um, build me a, a Facebook app for Android. Right. It just what it, you know, yeah. you couldn't, obviously you couldn't do what? it in a one sentence. You have to step it through. But even with guided interaction, I expect there would be some really janky I was gonna things. Say, I, 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 anticipate, I am fairly confident that the results would, I mean, this entire exercise makes me think of those. Will it blend videos from, <laughs> <laughs> from the nineties, from those sales. <laughs> that's, Will, that's that's what you're going to get. You're like, yeah, you're going to get something interesting. It's also going to be a god awful mess at the same time. <laughs> it's going to be entertaining. You might learn something and you're going to make a hell of a mess. Those things are with guaranteed. Facebook, will it blend? Will it blend in chat from chat GPT? <laughs> yes. And it'll be god awful. Gross. That's an awesome. That's actually not a bad way to think about uh, generative AI is just like a word soup blender. <laughs> It is, but that's a hundred percent what it is. I just did a, uh, I, I had a, I had a, oh, man. A, a writing exercise, and I used, I used ChatGPT for a couple of the opening prompts, and it was, I mean, the results were decidedly mixed in in certain yeah. cases, and it ha it has a tendency once you've done it a couple of times, you see the style. ChatGPT mm -hmm. actually has a writing style, to yeah, it, which I guess makes sense given what it is, and it's a. You know the, the you know given given the, that it's a language model. Once you see that style, trying to break it out of that becomes kind of a yeah. fun challenge. But what I find works best is I don't want you to write the whole thing. I want you to write this core piece. Focus on just this. I've even told it to go back. Okay, I told you to write. 
I told you to write 50 words or I told you to write 100 words and that's, you're, you're giving me a bunch of fluff crap. Go back and write 50 words and cut out cut that it, whole- Cut it down to 50, the, And yeah. I'll even tell it, cut out the outro, you know, nonsense that right. you wrote. And you'll get, you know, you, you can get better stuff that way. Yeah. Um, and the, the ultimate question becomes, how, how long does it take you to produce something of up to your quality, your own personal quality standard right. versus, you know, with the iterations, with the prompt engineering, with the, cor- with the corrections versus having just written it yourself in the first place. And that's like, obviously highly personal, highly situational specific. Yeah. Um, but, 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 but this notion that, oh, you can just, you don't have to know any programming. You just have chat GBT be, be your developer yeah. for your great idea. Yeah. This is nonsense. It's complete and utter nonsense. I know you there talked was some, about, you talked about this before about, you know, you're not worried about the AIs coming for our gerbs yet. Um, and I'm, I'm not either. I'm not sure that they'll ever completely come for the gerbs. They'll get rid of just like their um, the AI is likely to get rid of low level rote stuff. We, I think I've used the example before about uh, contract attorneys who just review an existing document looking for typos looking for references mm-hmm. and things like that, you know, generative AI will get rid of mo- get rid of that job. But the notion of drafting a custom yeah. document from scratch, or then the negotiation of that contract, the back and forth between groups, you know, you're not going to get rid of that. And I think programming falls in the same boat. You're going to get rid of like all of these uh, integration engineers who are basically just, you know, glorified groovy scripters. You know, who just write groovy for Jenkins jobs all day. Yeah, that job's probably going to get automated. But, you know, custom app design and development, that ain't going anywhere. No way. So anyway, yeah, I I wanted to call that out with the with the AI stuff. And that, people, is what grinds my gears. Unbelievable. So Cursor's great. Check it out. Cursor's great. (laughs) Is that a a pick or just a reference? Is Um, that a pick? No, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and make it my own. He's going to make it his pick. Cursor.so. Super augmented, silent, and deadly. I just might end up enjoying this. So I uh, wanted to, uh, I I have, in preparation for talk I'm giving later this fall, uh, been thinking a lot, and because my day job pretty much orbits around the the cybersecurity space. I've had a lot of cybersecurity. The cybers. I've had the cybers. Doing the cybers. Which, by the way, it kind of annoys me. The term cybers. If I if I can, if I can throw another. Oh, preach, another brother. Preach. Down. The term cybersecurity, because it came from, you know, the, the cyber, cyberspace, you know, but it's, it, it, it just feels, I don't know, disingenuous because it's, it's not just cyber marketing space. bull crap. Yeah, it, it, it kind of, it kind of is, it, it kind of is because it's, you know, network security and application security and, you know, there, there, there's different, but it all, but we all, we all bundle it up under this term cybersecurity. And now we've shortened it to cyber. You hear that. Yeah. If you talk to people, you get just the cyber. Cyber is now short for cybersecurity. It has moved away from the cyberspace. And I get it. Cyberspace is very, that's old. That's like nineties talk for the internet. And Okay, fine. But oh, predates that by quite a while. Actually, Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying not to look too old. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, no, that uh, we're safe from that because it actually predates both of us. 
Okay, so what's your origins of that term were the the seventies, late sixties, like origins of the the use of the term cyber in reference to digital technology really predates either of us. Okay, uh, cyber. I, I actually now now I'm curious about going back to the because if you look if you look at definitions today. It's relating to or characteristic of the culture of computers, information technology, and virtual reality. But I wonder if... Which is a, which is a language shift. And we have to recognize that as much as we want to complain, as old men do, uh, about how the kids are ruining our words, it does now mean that. It started from a Greek word, then I'm forgetting where the derivation of, of that came from initially. Yeah, there's a... Uh, I think uh, cyber means control, if, I, if I'm... I think yeah. cyber, the root word in, in Greek means control. And so like cyber kinetic, right? So you're controlling at a distance movement, right? Cyberkinesis. And so that's kind of where the root. Yeah. I don't, I don't know where like, I guess control kind of makes sense with respect to the digital space, but I hate the term. It's well, so. There's, there's actually some bleed over with the term. Uh, for, Kubernetes is actually a Greek word. Um, and it's, oh, is it? yeah, it comes from the same place. Kubernetes refers to a pilot or a, a, a helmsman, the, the person who would steer the mm. boat, steer the ship. Okay. Um, so uh, you that can, puts a lot of things in perspective. So you actually. can actually, you're right. It actually makes sense when you think about the Kubernetes application, but, t- uh, c- uh, cybernetics is derives from the same word. Cybernetics derives okay. from, from Kubernetes. So yeah. it's all from the TIL. Same. Yeah. So anyway, lots of cyber on the mind, to, uh, on the brain these days. So stupid. And I had an epiphany and I wanted to see if, well, I think I had an epiphany. Maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. I wanted to see if I was insane about this. So. Yes. So. for Yes. Roll credits. <laughs> putting aside. <laughs> All right. Thanks. <laughs> and we're done. All right. Uh, so what things, so I, I kind of wanted to tee this up for you and see what kind of like, like double blind study here. Put me on the spot yeah. and make me look like yeah. a buffoon. So, yeah, no, I get you. Not talking. It's a shtick. So thinking about cybersecurity the way that the industry thinks about cybersecurity, not our our tete-a-tete about the terminology. Okay. When you hear the term cybersecurity, what things come to mind for you? Like when you Idiots hear- in suits. <laughs> okay. Anything, anything else come to mind for you? Idiots in suits. I totally get it. Security I, sorry, because I cannot. No, I, I get okay, it. So, I so get it. we are old men yelling at the cloud. The term is BS. And it just immediately makes me think that I, I what are you selling, seller? Like I immediately <laughs> think you're some slimy sleazeball trying to sell me some snake oil because you're using the term cyber and that's just unconscionable. Now, uh, what I actually, in my mind, I don't, I, I immediately transfer, translate that into InfoSec, information InfoSec. security, okay, so you, you which, is, which is how I think about, yeah, that's how I think about the domain. Myself. Okay. So let's, all right, then I will rephrase to get around your your snarky, grumbly old manness. Okay. <laughs> so what things come to mind when you hear infosec? When I hear infosec, like, what, what do comes you think to of? Mind? Like what do you, what, what sort of things jump to jump to mind for you? Uh, a whole bunch all at once. I think of everything sure. from um like at a at a corporate level, I think about uh, when I hear infosec, I think about a, a program. So 
I have uh, a defensive capability. I have protocols, procedures, policies that document mm-hmm. how I'm protecting my infrastructure. Immediately, yep. you can't you can't use the word security. It's meaningless without a sense of what you are trying to protect from what threat. So uh, both both asset management and and uh, uh, threat modeling mm-hmm. come to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of the documentary Hackers uh, with Hugh Jackman. Um, I think <laughs> still, still, I think we may have talked about it before. It's worth calling out the scene where he's building his Hydra virus thing. Everything, <laughs> on, the, everything on the monitors, complete crap. Like the things that are like flying around. He's got these little green. They're, they're always green too. Like it's still the sixties yeah. and we've got all these green monitors. But anyway, all these little boxes are flying around this 3d thing that he's building. That was crap. The way he acted in, in his creativeness of building the creative fervor 100 yeah. percent accurate yeah. totally except accurate. when he except when he types with one hand when he's drinking the coffee that you nobody's nobody's no, doing that's, that unless, you, unless you're on 10 key I you mean, could do I, that i guess i, I but. can yeah i mean i i don't i'm not a classic we've talked about i'm not a classic touch typist i'm an i'm an absolute I, i'm i'm Abomination. just a, I'm, an, yeah. I'm a brute i really am i'm a neanderthal no, if you need to type without breaks, then you're going to catheter yourself and get a camel back full of Red Bull. That's how I think grownups <laughs> do true. it. Yeah, but everything else where he's yelling at the screen or he's he's pondering and then he has the epiphany and he comes running back and he, you know, he has to get up and like jump and psych yeah, yeah. himself. And he, yeah, that's, yeah, he that's all gets that. the thing and he spins in the chair. Like all of that's totally true. We've all done that. Yeah, I've done 100% way more embarrassing things, so that's totally accurate. Yeah. Um, I hate, by the way, 24 was a great show. I, I've never yelled at the TV more than 24. Oh my than gosh, 24. the technology. It is the, so, how oh, we're going to, we're going to open a socket to the kernel and it's to just shut your face. Yeah, just gonna, shut your face. I can't decrypt their firewall. I can't. <laughs> hang on, hang on. I have, I have three characters decoded 20 more minutes until I get the other three. I, I, so. I've never yelled at a sh- My wife cannot resist the earth. She's medical. She's clinical. And she's She's just stream of consciousness. If she sees something that's just medically incorrect, she can't help herself. I'm not that way. I just internalize the rage. I with 24, I couldn't hold it in. 24 computers so horribly. They needed somebody on set there. So oh my gosh. Bad. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Terrible. Just the worst. Just, just atrocious. The Our, Matrix was more accurate to reality than 24. Honestly, yeah. I, I like I actually vibe a lot with. I mean, the computers themselves and I mean, you can the language that they made up for was complete crap, but I I could see it like, okay, I can actually I can sort of comprehend how this very complex, almost, you know, alive, self-mutating, self-correcting code. You could like I can almost conceptualize that as a as a concept. So, yes, I actually do think you're right. I think I think Matrix (laughs) was actually very close. That's the other one. Uh, that I did well the first one it's really a shame they never made a proper sequel it to is, the first one. It's, 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 I, it's I would have loved a sequel I would have loved, loved a couple of sequels a couple actually, of sequels too yeah they never did it that that had the they same never made it. vibe and fe- yeah it's just a damn shame uh, that they never did it's that. a missed opportunity it really I think, is, it really is what it is, is. If only I were a studio exec. So I'm sorry. So cybersecurity. Yeah, I'm thinking like I'm also thinking about independent. Uh, what also comes to mind is is um, uh, routine, like low level protection of my personal stuff. So like running in running a pie hole or an ad blocker in my browser, like that kind of stuff okay. comes to mind. Right. And then the third thing is I think about like dedicated like 
infosec teams like red and blue teams and how they operate and audit firms and stuff like that. Okay. Um, All right. So you think about, okay, so your, your list overlapped with mine a little bit. So, okay. I immediately, these are just like some of the, you know, yeah, some of the sure, immediate I'm sure visions. as we keep going here. Yeah. You'll other things will yeah. pop into your, into your head. The thing that you jumped on and I jumped on at the same time were the processes and programs and policies and procedures yeah. and all that written stuff. And then the other part of this that jumped out to me was North the- Korea. <laughs> now that's in there. Thanks. <laughs> it's great. Uh, I thought about uh, I thought about firewalls, all the vari- variants of, of firewalling. Yeah. You you mentioned some of the protections in your you know on your email or your browser. I kind of you could put prevention that on and detection prevention as a, de- a complementary system. Yeah. yeah, yeah, prevention and detection. I thought about the playbooks that actually would, yeah. um, after a breach would happen, these are the things that you should do, which led me mm-hmm. to think about secure uh, socks. How many, as a percentage, uh, just uh, random like fields as a percentage, how many like non, because I know you work for a security firm, how many non-security companies, like normal companies okay. actually have post-breach playbooks that are up to date? <laughs> That the team knows where to find Did them. you, hold on a second. Did <laughs> you time like, that so that I had this soda in my mouth, thus leading to me almost spitting it out my nose when you asked that question? Like, would you estimate none percent? Because I think that's probably accurate. <laughs> yeah, on, a, on a scale of zero to none, how many companies <laughs> have a post, have a post event be- breach program? Yeah, that's pretty accurate. I don't think a lot of places do. Uh, even the places that, in my experience, and not even in my cybersecurity experience, just being a consultant and going into companies uh, for security or software development or automation or you know any of a menagerie of things, the places that employ the cybersecurity folks, if they're not a, if they're not big enough to have those people on, you know, in a department, like if you don't have a security department, you don't have any of that crap for guaranteed. Even, Even if, if you, you have, do an enterprise of, of any size, those folks are swamped because I, I yeah. infosec falls under IT, which is still historically under budgeted, understaffed. Well, I mean, I well, OK, so I'm going to be absolutely wasted at the end of this episode. <laughs> so the trying to keep you on your toes. Yeah. The the reason that IT and uh, security teams generally, I have seen, I've actually, I think you're right. Traditionally, that's true. Security has fallen under IT. I think that is less and less true these days. It has steadily moved into its own space. I, I kind of go both ways on that. I can see some good. I see some bad with that. But um, with the reason that they're, they are just constantly understaffed, uh, two reasons jump to mind. One, IT is a cost center. Yeah. It's, it's not a revenue generator. Sales guys get money and they make money because for the company, money. so they get yeah. money. And then things that are pure cost center that have no direct money-making upside, those are not considered revenue centers, the, and they are always yeah. going to be second tier. I don't because agree, I don't agree because with it. Why it's, it. Right, no, it's the way the world works, it's and the there's the two works. reasons. Number one, when there's new money to spread around, you're not the first on the list. Right. Number two, when there's money that has to be reaped back, you're the first on that list. Right. You, you are always... Because it, all, it falls under SG&A, and that's always the first bucket to get cut. Yeah, you're always last in, first out kind of, kind yeah. of deal. You're, you're very LIFO. And um, 
so uh, there's that. That's that's a huge, huge piece of it. Um, the other part of it is the nature of the types of people who go into cybersecurity, or excuse me, into information technology and even security. I'll say to a certain extent, are that 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 personality. They're 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 not marketers. They're they're not they're not lobbyists. They're not. Yeah, I'm not saying they're not people. They can't be social folks, but the likelihood you're saying no, you're saying that they are filthy, perpetual <laughs> neck beards. I mean, with no social skills. I heard those are the exact words that just came out of your mouth. I mean, I mean, there is a <laughs> higher likelihood that they that they appear. How many? I'll put it to you this way: how deftly, many deftly how, handled? How many neck beards do you know in sales? I know exactly zero neck beards in sales. Yeah. It just doesn't, it, it, these different jobs attract different types of people. And the people that get attracted to IT technical types of roles, they're, they're generally not the, you know, the, the marketer pusher, you know, sales oh my gosh. types. Did, was this something I read or was this something we talked about recently? How, mm. uh, why the dum-dums wind up running the place? Like why the inmates wind up running the asylum. The mm -mm. the the essential th just I don't want to go into too big of a tangent, but the essential thing was you get recognized and promoted when people trust you, and people trust you when you seem confident. And the people that know the most wind up being the most humble and soft spoken because they're very aware of all the stuff that they don't know. But the dum dums mm. don't know jack. And so they think they know everything and they project confidence, they gain people's trust, and then they they rise up in influence. Um, oh, I'm yeah. You're, I mean, summarizing to it and a grievous degree, but that was essentially the theory, one theory to explain why, like, your boss is always dumber than you. Well, there's basically, yeah. You and I talked recently about Dunning Kruger syndrome, which that, that's yeah, what this that, is. That, I mean, it, it, well, it's, well, it's, it's related. Yeah. I was going to yeah. say Venn diagram overlap. There's, there's, you know, we're, mm -hmm. we're playing in very, very, very approximate sandboxes on, on that. And so, no, we anyway, didn't. Yeah. Talk about so it. sorry. But that but yeah, because the the brown shoes that they're, they're confident they, they'll yeah, yeah, they'll sell this. So we can do that. We can solve that. For us, no problem. Right. Well, the guys that are actually building this stuff like I, I don't know if I can build that on that timeline. There's a thousand things that we have to do to get that done. And, uh, you know, and then they go and oh, man, this this story. And then they knuckle down and they just they blast through it and then they get it done. And then what happens at the other side of that? See, you know, the, the business guy, the manager. See, goes, I told, See, we you did talk it. about we, this. We, we, yeah. We, 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 See, I, you did it. You I knew did. you could. I knew you, I knew you could. And so now the next time you have any, like what you said before wasn't, it wasn't, you weren't lying and bringing it up again. Done, it, it's no less true. It's just that you well, sort of work thing. through those things. So now they just acknowledge because the re, they ignore the reality that these are actual things that we had to deal with. Well, because once you make the sales, like sales and business development teams, they don't care anymore. They got the money in the door. They did their job. It's somebody else's job to hold on to the business and make sure that the quality is is in line with the client's expectations. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is both sides were right, right? The uh, the sales guy was right. The brown shoe was right. Yeah, we actually, we got it done. We sold it. We brought the money and see, I told you we could do it. And the, the, and the engineer was right. You have no idea what we had to sacrifice to get this out on time. It's not quality. It's not sustainable. It's got problems. We can't support this. We incurred a bunch of technical debt. All this other kind of stuff comes to mind. Mm -hmm. And so then the next time that conversation, a dynamic unfolds where Brown Shoe wants to sell something that Neckbeard doesn't think they can build in time, 
they were both right the last time. And so they dig deeper into their trench in this next battle. And it just, it's this, oh, it's, it's this, you're just swirling the toilet bowl at that point. It's yeah, awful. It's it, the, the tech people have to do a better job of, of, and then of, a pandemic comes along and the neckbeards <laughs> get, get an offer for 60% more to work at the firm across the street. And so they leave before anything actually ever blows up. <laughs> yeah, that's also true. Uh, so that's a total sidebar. Uh, where were we? Cybersecurity, InfoSec. I was talking about what I was seeing. Yes. Um, yeah, sorry. We talked about playbooks and processes and, and things like that. And I that led me to think about the teams that utilize these, whether they're inside security or information technology. So you'll have things like a SOC, Secure Op- Security Operations Center, which is actually designed to monitor the systems and then respond. They actually, they'll write and then follow the playbooks. Or you, and then you get into tools like Seams, uh, which is uh, security, mm-hmm. information, and event management. And then you also have the 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 newer ones that I'm hearing now are Soar. Have you heard Soar before? Soar, no. Soar, S O A R, security uh, security orchestration, automation, and response is what is what Soar is. Okay. Uh, and I mean, I, orchestration, yeah. automation, and response. Uh, okay. It's, if you, if you look it up, they'll talk so about it's, it. Uh, so, so they got, they, IDS IPS wasn't selling anymore. And so they had to come up with a new term. <laughs> well, I, I think, yes, I think that's absolutely part of okay. it. How many of these were, were actually authored by Gartner is, is probably the chances of that being authored by Gartner is probably pretty high. Um, I actually don't know. If the, I hear, the if I hear one more person in a meeting say something that the rest of the industry knew five years ago, but now it's a topic now because Gartner or McKinsey came out with an article. <laughs> oh my God. I might, I might paint this wall with my brains behind me. I am up to here with this nonsense. Like, I, I, okay, it's your big four. Like, you know why it's not this untrustworthy information. It's just not useful if you know what you're talking about in our industry. It's just not useful. <laughs> the, the, the idea, I think, with, um, with SOAR is the same idea as, as a SOC, but it's the, the same, same notion of detecting a thing and then taking some yeah. remedi- uh, remediating it, some, some, some remedy action yeah. or something like that. But it's automated. Like mm-hmm. The detection is automated. The response is automated. That's what the, that's what the SOAR thing is. I would imagine something where like, oh, you have endpoint protection and it's a client server. And if the local client on some endpoint detects something weird, it could block the file and quarantine like a traditional sure. antivirus, or it could take extreme measures like like uh, uh, unjoining the machine from the turning off the network connection or, you know, some other mm-hmm. extreme measure for containment, you know, mm-hmm. um, makes sense. But again, that's sort of just like, doing IDS and IPS well. I right. don't know. Yeah. I'm not an expert. I admittedly, like, I, I would say that like as a, like I'm literally, I'm not in that realm. Yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah. what's different about this class of, of product. Yeah. It seems like more probably buzzword than anything, but yeah. And then there, I also, you know, I, I, I jumped from the, the processes and the programs to, you know, the places that do it. And I started with something that I think is fairly legitimate, like sock, but there's also, things that are more buzzwordy, but no less real, I'll say, you know, things like the seam and the sore. And then I also thought of things like uh, NDR, 
If you know what that is, network detection and response or EDR, which is endpoint detection and response. And now, and then there's MDR, which is managed, managed detection, managed, managed detection. Endpoint mobile would still be uh, endpoint because the mobile device is still technically the endpoint. Um, And then the, the Gartner version of that term is actually uh, courtesy of uh, I think Palo Alto is pushing uh, XDR, which is extended detection and response, which is supposed to be, you know, sort of like this culmination of, of all of these things. Anyway, so I'm thinking through those kinds of things. Um, We've been talking a lot internally about packet capturing and and monitoring and and analyzing, you know, packets Mm -hmm. and things like that. So that, that came to mind. And I started to, so all this is swirling in my head and I started to see a pattern in all of the things that go into cybersecurity or infosec or anything like that. It all comes, it all starts with and often comes back to logging. It's all logging. Like everything in cybersecurity starts with a log, a log event. Something happened somewhere and a log of that event date, timestamp, this device, you know, here was the request, here was whatever, you know, there's, there's a bazillions of logs for bazillions of things, but it all starts there. It's, it's all logging. And if I think about the things that we talked about, they, they're, they're all just permutations and out croppings and outgrowths of, of logs, like a, like a to sock. extend what is to extend do? beyond well right no but but the o is the operative term there right operations yeah. so to extend that even broader than just security all operations is logging so i'm thinking about system administration system of a production admin, environment sure, yeah. right mm-hmm. what are what are you how do i know if my cpu memory disk pressure is up how do i know how my network's performing how do i know if my hosts are performing how do i know if somebody's port knocking well, i guess that is a security thing back again but all of that is still just logging, right? Yeah. So I I had this realization, and this is what I wanted uh, the 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 thing I wanted to put in front of you and like you know to put on your BS meter on this. I I wrote down log entries are the origin point for nearly all action and activity within cybersecurity. Like almost nothing happens without a log at the start. You could. So I think I think there are two ways you can go there. The only the only exception uh, that I could see, and again, one of the things that you mentioned in your I didn't mention it in my list, but you mentioned in your list of things you think about with security was a firewall. Mm-hmm. Um, the fundamental principle of a firewall is the blacklist. So that's or or whitelist, whatever you want to say. Uh, that's that's a policy configuration. That's a list of. Yeah, but even then, I'm going to show me the log of things that got blocked. Show me the logs of things that got through. I mean, so those from are- a response standpoint, okay. So then, then we'll make a distinction there. From a response standpoint, monitoring and response, you're right. Yeah, there's a with firewalls. When you reach the edge of when you reach the edge, the perimeter of the th- I don't want to say your network because that's not necessarily the case. When you reach the 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 border of the thing you want to protect. You do run into this chicken egg problem of, you know, setting up the protection versus, you know, monitoring the output or the results of that protection. And so your your firewall whitelist blacklist is a, is a good example of that. Okay, well, I'm going to build a whitelist or a blacklist. Well, what are you going to build that off of? 
Like, where's the information that you're going to use to inform what goes on that? Yeah, you're going to, if you're deploying a new tool, what you're going to do in any responsible organization is you're going to turn it on in log mode for a couple of months. Yep. See where the traffic's coming from. Build your list of allowed or denied activities based off of that log. Then you're going to put it, you might, you might take a half measure and go into warn mode mm-hmm. and then go to full block mode after you have that list. But that list does come from logs. So yeah, it's still logged. Even the configuration, I was thinking um, policies around program execution on the endpoint, uh, all of these things are... It's really just allow block lists. Is the, the all a lot of, of it? Is, I would yeah. even just to, to riff on your idea. All of security tooling configuration is allow and block listing. Yeah, I mean, at a fundamental level, is this now thing you allowed can go or not? yes or no? Yeah. Now you can go. You can go to the next level, right? Because some of the some of them will come in and say, no, this is all behavior based, right? This isn't explicit configuration. This is behavior based allowance policies, uh, but those are trained on models from what is it? Allowing block lists and logs that mm-hmm. are flagged as problematic. Um, and yeah. even the ones that aren't, even the ones they, 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 you know, uh, was it like app dynamics? Some of these, they'll say, Oh, we, we establish a baseline for your system's operation over a period of hours or days. And then we learn what normal behavior looks like. And we look for an anomaly. Well, you're looking for the anomaly based on log data. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think it, you might have something here. I, I think I, you might have something. I feel like if you, if you were to take, if you were to take logging as a concept away from cybersecurity, that industry no longer exists in a way that fundamentally there, you, you couldn't take. Not in the way it does now, no. No, like I, even. Because I mean, like, it's all it's all prevention and no detection. Yeah, and it's all, well, even with the detection part, like the detection parts are still, I mean, you, you get, we're, we're talking about very, I mean, depending on, you know, detection and response within the same, like within the single request. I mean, you reach a, it's sort of like a race condition of how small of a, you know, time frame that you're dealing with here. But even then, it's still kind of a log. Like, this thing is happening. Well, what thing? Show me the thing. Well, how am I, you know, I show you the thing by showing you, like, the log of the thing. Here, here is the thing. And so it's still, even that uh, is a that, log. I, so there you might, there you Somebody who was sufficiently motivated on a Friday afternoon might argue with you on the point that, no, it doesn't count as a log until it is parsed and stored. Well, I I shouldn't say parsed until it is stored someplace else persistently. So, Mm. uh, so like the local firewall looking at an incoming connection and saying, should I allow this? Let me look at my little log here of outbound connections. You could argue that that's not a log because it's not persistently stored someplace else. Mm. Uh, Yeah, it's working memory within the actual process. And so that doesn't count as a log. It's not on disk. It's not, you know, it's this ephemeral thing. Um, You might argue some wiggle room there. You're you're definitely getting getting metaphysical on me. Definitely going neck well, being metaphysical on me. No, I mean, log. like I think about logs the same way I think about backups, right? Uh, a backup isn't just a copy of some garbage, right? A backup is something that exists in a different time and space than its source of truth. Right. So a backup is, if I just go onto my C drive and create a copy of my documents, that's not a backup. It right. doesn't exist in a different place. Different time, it's a, it's a time... Uh, copy, but it's not a, it's not in a different, if I put it now on a different disc, even in the same machine, 
you could now argue that that's a backup. I would say the same thing with logs. Like mm. okay. if the if, like if SSHD, right? Uh, those logs go to you know slash var slash log slash SSHD slash whatever. Um, that that is a log, but the the working memory within the daemon. I would say maybe isn't so you might you might have to get like once you get down to that level I could see somebody arguing your point but, yeah. but I, I think your broad point is still largely correct I think this is a good observation yeah yeah so so I it just it just dawned on me that like so much of of what we have is is just it starts and it starts and often ends with logs yeah. and that led me to think about okay well what the the industry more writ large i started looking at like a lot of the tools that are out there or the the companies that are out there especially the newer ones that are coming along or the newer tools that are being developed and we end up in this i, I feel like we end up in this massive um we're in this massive bike shed like we we have this this space where we are uh, because everything is logs. Okay. That means logs are really important. So give me, I want lots of logs. So I have lots of information so I can do lots of things. And then the vendors come along and say, sure, we can give you logs and then we can do things with your logs and we can log with your logs and yo dog, you know, and, <laughs> and the, you know, the, the entire thing now becomes a, uh, and, and takes an on exercise. its own life. Right. Uh, one of the, what I realized was that, uh, one of the, one of the guys I work with, he, he said something unrelated to this conversation. He, he, you know, said to me in, you know, one of the challenges that he sees when he's talking to prospective customers is trying to get them to understand what we do. Cause you know, our product doesn't deal with logs. It actually deals with the actual event. So, you know, your distinction about what's in a log versus the actual activity you know, there's, there's actually some, some value there. And I, I think you're right, but he says, one of the biggest challenges is the industry is trained on noise that everybody just has lots of logs and the vendors it's, it's easy to show action with logs because it's a, it's an output. It's a thing that has been produced. And so you know, here uh, we're doing stuff. Sure. We're doing tons of stuff for, yes, you should continue to keep paying us. Look at this giant list of things that we have found, said, done, you know, written, whatever. More checkboxes yeah, on the marketing like, material. Yeah. yeah. Checking it, it, it's sort of like that. And so- When if you look at the progression, what the progression of the industry has been, just to, to build off your point, uh, the innovations in the space have been, well- if you want to boy, if we want to be like really reductive about all of this, the innovation in the space has been, well, we collect more logs from more places faster. Well, that's remember I mentioned XDR. That's exactly what the XDR technology is. It is yeah. more logs from more places coalesced into a single uh, ingestion point. Yeah. So that you can, you can ignore that too. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so we, so, so we have this, we have this nasty loop happening right now where we have it's it, it I'm saying this in very black and white terms because not everything falls into this space. There is good work being done, security is improving, but this part two things can be true at once. That's all that's true, but and we are uh just producing crap tons of logs for crap that we don't need 
want are going to yeah. do anything with because it, it, uh, show, it shows that story, activity. That story, that story we talked about uh, a couple of months ago, who was it that spends $70 million a year oh, the Splunk. on uh, Splunk? Yeah. Like, what are they paying for? Logs. Splunk, Splunk, is a, Splunk as a business, is it's, Splunk is built on this concept. Like Splunk, Splunk is built on the notion that lots, all the logs, give me all your logs. That's, I mean, that is Splunk's entire business. Well, and the psychological, problem, the, the, the unspoken psychological argument there is that there is a, there is a linear correlation between the amount and volume and disparity in sources of your logs and the inactionable insight, the action that will happen as a result of having collected and analyzed them. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that is not true. Like in no case have I ever seen that to be true. If you double the amount of logs from different places and the, and the polling frequency of what you're doing, you don't get double the actionable outcomes. And if you do, you don't have enough people to go and do the action. Right. So it's worthless, right? There's there no is, and yet, and yet give me more logs a, so that I can do more there things. There can be, I believe there can be a correlation. It is not linear. It is no. not anywhere near one for one. No, it's it's definitely it's definitely not. And so I I think that you know we we've we've ended up in this spot now where a lot of this. And if you want to be really reductive about it, you can say that a lot of this stuff is just BS that we do. And we know it's in certain cases in in the most cynical reductive terms, it's BS, and everyone involved knows it's BS. But we do this to say that we do this to appease another group over here. Like yeah. I'm doing this because the framework says I have to, or the, the, this big partner client says that we have to do this in order to be partners with them. Or, you know, we, back we're doing to this my old, I, no, it, that's exactly what drives most of this stuff in practice. Most of this stuff is driven by bullcrap externalities. I will go back to my favorite hobby horse of all time, which is password expiry. Ah. <laughs> so I'm in the healthcare industry and high trust certification, which is a big deal if you're if you're if you're dealing with uh, with healthcare data. High trust is a big deal. It's an industry certification for cyber secure for cyber for the cybers. Um, for the cybers, and it requires that in most cases accounts uh, passwords rotate every ninety days. You force expiry and have people does put in new passwords every that? ninety days. It, it, it does. Is and that, so and is that HIPAA or even high though, trust? HIPAA or high trust? That's high trust. It's high trust. That's high trust. Okay. HIPAA is the Health Insurance Privacy and Portability Act that was passed in the nineties by Congress that sets baseline expectations for uh, privacy, security, least privilege, and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. High trust is an industry certification. It's a broader data governance framework that is much more uh, prescriptive in what you Got have it. to do to maintain compliance. Got it. Um, so along comes NIST, I don't know, like five or eight years ago and says in special publication 63, 800-63B, uh, section 5.1.1.2 explicitly states oh my God. that you shouldn't do this because it's a bad idea, right? <laughs> and NIST realized this after a delay when the rest of the industry realized it was a bad practice. It started to become popular. Smart people realized it was an anti-pattern because what are you going to do? If your password is monkey123, 90 days goes by, what's your password going to be? Monkey124, one, right? Two, four, every yeah. single time, every single time. And so 
NIST finally realized, hey, we should update our guidance because this is an anti. It's actually making things is provably making things worse. Less secure, and yeah. then I, I have literally I have had to, in my opinion, my professional opinion, I have had to degrade the security posture mm-hmm. of applications to introduce 90 day expiry windows against NIST's guidance because high trust hadn't caught up yet. Right. That I, it drives me insane. And it's, it's the same thing. It's the same thing here. Most of these law, oh, well, you have to capture this. You have to capture that. It's not because that's adding value to the organization. It's not because, and by the way, that cost is going to get passed through in the contract. So if the contract specifies I got to do a bunch of stuff and that cost me more money, the price of the contract just went up. So everybody's paying more money to get a bunch of stuff in the contract to something that no reasonable person would agree actually has to be done to satisfiably secure the relationship that I have. I'm I'm going on a whole thing. I'm I'm hot now. Yeah. I'm hot. That's well, just, I mean, that's, that's just, you're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, that's just it. Like we say these things to make it look secure, but there's almost this, in, in some cases it, it is expressly unspoken. And in other cases it's, you know, maybe hinted at, but not completely unspoken that, okay, we're going to do this so we can say that we're secure so that we can cover our butts to say that we're secure, but it's not actually going to do anything, but now we can say it so that we can say it. And that'll be enough to appease the uh, customer the government, the whatever, but it's just to make this other group happy and, or to, for this other group to go away. It's it's, so much of it ends up being that, that kind of, that kind of nonsense. Um, yeah. So I I brought it up the specific language just because I know everybody's dying to know the exact verbiage. Verifiers should not require memorized secrets to be changed arbitrarily parenthetical, e.g. periodically. It's black and white. <laughs> right there. I will not. It's right I, there in the NIST. It's right there. To the grave. To the. This was June 2017. This was released. We have known this. <laughs> I, I, I will never let this go. <laughs> I vow. <laughs> what I want to know is that if you have been forced to collect logs, if you hate password expiries. As much as we do. As much as we do. Maybe even We more. want you to reach out. Maybe more. If you hate, if you hate forced password expiries more than I do, I really want to talk to you. That, yeah, please. That's an angry person. We need to get you some help. <laughs> I, well, I just want to make a new friend. <laughs> <laughs> you can do that uh, by reaching out to us. Feedback at refactor.work is the way that you would do that. You can send us an email or a voice memo. Uh, if you go to our main site at refactor.work, we've got back episodes, show notes, archives, recommendations, all sorts of goodness there. Uh, if you want more of Frank online, he resides at hotcoles, K-O-E-H-L-S dot com. And I am at chris.tonkinson.com. And as best I can tell, this is episode number 114, recorded Friday, September 8th, 2023. Thanks, Frank. Thanks, man. Take a, take a break. Go, go like, go for I a might, walk. Something, something. I might have to do some yoga. Yeah, yeah. yeah go do some yoga, some breathing. <laughs>